Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I'm your host, Tommy Morris. Sean is still out helping people uh, recover from their hurricane damage, and so once again, I have Scott Vitro in the house. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Tommy. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Glad you're back. Well, you know, after last week, I, I think we have a lot of follow-up to do here yeah yeah i was ready to go last week yeah you were yeah you were so we were we were like trying to to hold it back just a little bit because we didn't want to jump into this week's episode so you did good you showed some restraint (laughs) yeah thanks i mean it's (laughs) it's so hard to try to separate you know grace and uh faith so i'm I'm really glad we're doing both of of the uh, topics there so yeah so last week if you haven't checked it out please go check it out we did Grace alone. We're going through the five solas for October. So yeah. we did Sola Gratia last week, and we talked about how it is because of God's grace that it is starts with his mercy, not giving us what we deserve. And then he extends his grace, giving us what we do not deserve. And we looked through a lot of scriptures that really point to it being by grace alone. That is nothing that we merit or earn in and of ourselves. And in that, we, we kind of touched around we tiptoed around a lot of stuff about works that we're going to get into this week you know and so we want to look this week at sola fide faith alone and we're going to kind of jump through some old testament we're going to look at some of the people in the old testament and then come to the new testament and see uh what titus and paul say about it so let's start by kind of looking at the faith chapter hebrews 11 yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I encourage you just to go read it yourself. You know, if you have any questions or, you know, don't totally agree, um, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's good to point out because, you know, we're, we're not just talking about faith here. Whenever we say faith alone, we're talking in terms of salvation, right? And it's important to understand why. And I love that Tommy is being so gracious and letting us go through the entire Bible because, you know, number one, it's just really great to see consistency throughout the Bible because there is. But, you know, one of the bigger things, too, is understanding that faith predates the law and it goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. So with that, I mean, let's just see what the Bible says about faith. You know, so, you know, there, there are di- you know, different definitions of faith. But Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's it's an assurance and it's a conviction of things not seen. And then we go down a couple more verses to uh, Hebrews eleven six, and I kind of want to start with this as like the foundation because it's so so important. Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." And so, if we really think about that and take it to its logical conclusion, if we can't please God without faith, then we can't be saved. And I think that that's so important to remember because we cannot be saved without faith. It is that important. It is that foundational to Christianity. So if if we can't please God without faith, then to me, this destroys the idea of like a workspace salvation. Now, just to be clear, because we're going to explore both, you know, both topics here. Works are a part of faith, but they are, I'm not going to say like an afterthought, but they are a production. They are something that's produced after faith. Works do not save us. And honestly, if we look at the entirety of human history and all the religions, you know, on earth and even people who aren't religious, we have this like inherent thing in our nature where we think we can earn our own salvation or we can work our way towards God. Even in the most barbaric societies, you know, there were, uh, you know, sacrifices, right? 
So, you know, we, we look at the sacrificial system and, and, and you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, all, all throughout history, um, there, there's always been God's model of doing things. And then there's the world's way of doing things that are similar, but they get all messed up. Right. So we look at like the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, you know, and, and, and that was set up with the law to to cover sin. Right. So. You know, j- just like we see today in other religions and things like that, um, we have to do something in order for that forgiveness to happen or that next level or step or whatever, you know, we're aiming at, you know, all the way to, you know, Romans, Greeks, the Mayans, literally offering sacrifices to appease the gods, right? So it's it's like somehow, even in a very skewed sense, we have this idea, no matter who we are, where we are, that we need to sacrifice or do something in order to earn you know, either the God's favor in the pantheon or, you know, as we understand the Judeo-Christian God. But literally, faith predates the uh, the law in the Old Testament. And it really makes me think of probably four distinct examples, but I, I try to go back as far as I could with this and I look at uh, Cain and Abel. So I haven't really read anything about, you know, Adam and Eve and faith, but we look at like the very second generation so Cain and Abel are presenting their offerings to God. And this used to baffle me because I was like, well, why was God upset, you know, with uh Yeah, same, with, same. I remember early. <laughs> so we actually just read that account for our family devotions two weeks ago. And I was like, man, it's so much more clear now when I read it. Because I remember back in the day going, man, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe I have these flipped, but I mean, it was meat too, right? Like one of them offered Abel offered, like, yeah, Abel offered meat and Cain offered like grain. Right. And I was thinking maybe because it wasn't a blood sacrifice or something like that, but no, it goes back to faith. He had faith that he was trusting in God, that this would be acceptable to him. And he was doing it from you know the heart, obviously. Right. And as we know, the first murder in the Bible comes out of this because it comes from jealousy because his sacrifice was accepted and it was accepted by faith. And then, you know, we look at Abraham and, you know, Abraham technically, you know, predates the law. I mean, you know, you know, his line will eventually lead to it. But, you know, it says that, you know, it was counted righteousness to him because of his faith, not something that he did. And then we see that with Enoch, too. And then we see it with Sarah, one of the one of the matriarchs, you know, of of Israel. And, you know, I, I wanted to point out. It's not that these people didn't struggle. I mean, we even look at Sarah and, um, you know, her, her son Isaac. And, you know, he's literally named after the word for, like, laughter. And it's because, you know, when the angel visited her, she laughed because she was old. She thought there was no way she could have a baby. So, so we kind of have this, like, perceived conflict where it's like, well, you know, she struggled with it, but then she had faith. But it wasn't something that Sarah did that she just, you know miraculously produced in herself. And it's kind of a point I want to make with all these people in the Bible predating the law, like, you know, just through the whole, the whole uh, gamut of history is by themselves, there was no way they were going to be able to produce that faith to trust in God. It was something that was given to them. And probably the most vivid example I can think of is Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. And, you know, there's a lot we could say about that story. So I'll just stick to the faith part. I'm sure Abraham by himself was thinking like, this is insane. Like, this is crazy. This is my promised seed. Right. right, Who is supposed to go on and bring all the generations that God promised him. And And we had an old age. Right. But, and, and I wrote this down that there's no way. He had this faith or did this on his own. There, there's no way none of us in our right minds would even consider something like that. 
But it goes on to talk about his faith that he knew that even if he had to go all the way through with the sacrifice of his son, he had faith that God would make it right, that he would live again. We see the faith when he says to those that went with him, my son and I are going up to worship and we will return. Yeah, forgot about that. So, yeah, I mean, we see these examples of faith that don't just predate the law, but you know, I just want to hone in on the point that there's no way these people did this on their own. There's no way that Sarah, the old lady, was like, oh, yeah, well, you know what? I guess it's possible. No, I truly, genuinely believe that God gifted her faith to be able to trust in the assurance of things not seen. And then once that was accepted, you know, it was counted to them as righteousness. So, but it wasn't something that they did or produced. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even with Moses and the law, you know, and even in, in getting the Ten Commandments and keeping the law, I mean, we'll see as we look into Paul's writings later, we'll, we'll see him kind of address that through the Pharisees and all of that and keeping the law in and of itself, obviously not being enough. There has to be faith with it. You know, John Piper talked about kind of his definition of faith was this treasured trust in a person. Right. And I think that's what has to accompany the works. Like when you think about the high priest, the Levites offering the sacrifice, when you think about Moses leading Israel to to follow the Ten Commandments, when you think about those who came after who followed the law, they had to to do it with a belief and a trust in what God was telling them. You know, just like when God told Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. Yeah. Not like, hey, go to this specific land. Go to one and I'll show you. Yeah, just start going. Right. And and he had to, it wasn't just that he started walking. It's that he believed what God said. He believed God to be true. He believed God's words to be true. And that has to accompany whatever the work or sacrifice is. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And, and having that trust. And, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, we don't ever advocate blind faith. And I don't think God ever expects us to or wants us to either. Because, you know, there's, there is that trust there. There's that trust that, hey, behind this door, you know, behind this thing that I cannot see or know, I'm trusting that you are good. You know, and it goes back to God's goodness that you're going to take care of me, that it's going to be okay. And just building that relationship, you know, and the thing is, is, you know, this topic is something, you know, there are volumes of books just on faith dissertation, thesis, you know, I mean, you you name it, the highs and lows of academia, you know, we could talk about this stuff for a really long time. But you know what, like God doesn't want just blind faith, he wants you to trust him. But he also like the thing I love about God so much is he lets us wrestle with things. And a lot of people can wrestle with faith, you know, like, where does it come from? How much of a role do I play in it or not play in it, you know, things like that. And, you know, I would just encourage people, you know, if you're struggling with those thoughts, because, I mean, I think I don't think I've met a person yet who hasn't struggled with their faith at one point, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and, and and it is, you know, and we, we kind of go back to that old self and that old me of thinking like, well, you know, what if it's not true? You know, even though there's like a mountain, you know, of evidence and God lets us pray and wrestle and do all these things and seek the scriptures and um, other people who have studied, you know, dedicated their lives to, you know, these topics and stuff you know, to, to come to that conclusion, you know, wrestle with God about your faith, you know, and I think, you know, that that's, that's in scripture too, you know, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, Yes, you know, because it is such a big deal. But, you know, just like we talked about in the last episode, you know, the, 
the the whole idea is to approach this topic as well as grace with uh, with humility because the second we put ourselves in it we're really shifting the purpose of like what God means for faith to be and I mean that's 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 kind of like a I think a good next point is like well what's the purpose of faith and it's it's to give God the glory and another big piece of that that we cannot look over is so that no one can boast. And, you know, speaking of humility, and that's where we start getting into, you know, really hard topics and discussions about, you know, our role in faith. But scripture is very clear that it's given to us. And, the, you know, one of the reasons behind that is so that no one can boast. We can't say, well, look what I did. I was better than this person or I was better than you. And God, now look at me. Look how awesome I am. Because the whole purpose is to give him glory. And whenever we start interjecting ourselves, you know, whether we mean to or not, we're trying to give ourselves the glory. Yeah, I think that's an, an important distinction to make in regards to the purpose of it and where the glory lies. Because a lot of people, you know, we talk about these Old Testament guys, right? And a lot of people will look at them and we want to be the next David, the next Moses, the next Abraham, right? Elijah. But we only want to be David when he's fighting Goliath. We never, you know, we never seek to be David when he's crying out for mercy because he's sinned, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's always the glory, but... But yeah, I mean, I think that's the the thing is that all that they did, God and how he worked and how they displayed faith, it always pointed back to the work of God from, mm-hmm. from how he multiplied Abraham, how he blessed, like you said, Sarah, in her old age to how he delivered, how he delivered the Philistines and Goliath through the hand of David. That was David's act of faith. It wasn't him trusting in his own power and might or thinking that the stone itself had power. It was always a faith in God to where God showed up and you knew it was the hand of God working and it was God that was going to get the glory. And that's, I think, one of the distinct things about each of those people is they always pointed back to God. They never sought to put their put eyes back on themselves. You know, well, I don't say they never did, but the times that yeah, they did. Not, not for their whole life. No, yeah. not for their whole life. Not ultimately, not when they were walking in faith. When they were walking in the flesh, yes, you would see that, but then you would see repentance. And so it was always about the glory of God. And yeah. Paul says over and over that he boasts in Christ, not in and of himself. Yeah. And I mean, and it's interesting, too, because whenever these, you know, patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament are mentioned in the New Testament, all it says is that it was counted to them as righteousness. But you look back at their stories and it's not like they held perfect faith. They struggled. They they struggled with fear of man. They struggled with uh, with doubts and what, what the future looked like. And, you know, it, it really makes me think like how blessed we are to be in like this part of history, because a lot of these people. They didn't have history to look back on. They didn't have an Old Testament. I mean, obviously in the New Testament they did. But, you know, the people in the Old Testament, they didn't have mountains and thousands of pages of stories to look back on and see God's goodness. And to see like, oh, hey, he's already done this. He has been faithful. Not only just in the past, but, you know, we can look at our own lives too and look back and be like, you know what? Like, that was that was rough. I didn't understand it when I was going through it, but God was faithful. And, and so that should lead us even more so because we have access to so much of history and just the track record of how faithful God is. You know, it's 100% every time. Yeah, the cool thing about the patriarchs, like you say, and, and it was their faith that was attributed to righteousness. You know, when you read through Hebrews 11, it never says it was their sacrifices that was attributed to righteousness yeah. or it was their keeping of the law or their obedience even. It was that yeah. their faith was attributed as righteousness. Because if you go back and look at their works— yeah, there were a lot of good works, but 
but there was also rebellion. There was Moses striking the rock. Yeah. You know, anger, and yeah. not being able to go into the promised land. There was Abraham lying that Sarah was his sister yeah, out of yeah. fear of man. And it goes back to what you said last week about kind of that weights and balances and people want to do it. Like, honestly, if you go back and you look at David's life or any of these others and, and you did a weights and balance, well, who's to say? You know, I think... If you look at David, there's a lot of things that people would look at in his life and go, I don't think he's going to make it. Yeah. But yet, you know, he was someone that was called a king after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. And so God doesn't judge it by the weights and balances of our works. You know, it was their faith that was attributed to them as righteousness. You know, yeah. and that's the that's the thing. I think a lot of times we look at faith as a New Testament construct. I don't yeah, think, I don't not think, a, no, not at all. I don't think, I think we read 11, Hebrews 11, we see, we read those verses, but I don't know that a lot of people really think through faith being yeah. an old throughout the old Testament, but it really is, you know, I mean, it's, it's always salvation has always been about faith, right? Yeah. It's always about trusting God that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. You know, exactly. he absolutely loves that. And I mean, you know, wh- whether we like it or not, I mean, that's that's where God wants us in our lives is to completely and utterly trust him to say, you know, and I, I, I've wrestled with this, too, you know, but to say, like, hey, I am completely helpless for my own salvation. There's nothing in me, you know, that I can do. I mean, literally, Scripture says that, like, you know, we were dead in our trespasses, dead, you know, like there there's there's no you know further way to describe that because we all understand what death is. And that, you know, he's literally offering us something to bring us back to life. And, you know, a lot of times we, uh, you know, either take it for granted or we think it's something that we can just make happen. And it's like, well, how can a dead person make themselves live again? You know, and it's like, well, you know, duh, they can't. Right. You know, you know, it's, it's crazy. You say that I was talking to my wife like a month or so ago, kind of preparing for some teachings and things. And I was thinking back to my testimony and there was a time where someone that was close to us questioned my salvation back in the day. And I got very offended. And I remember when Helena came and talked to me about it and I was mad and I started looking at the fruit of the spirit. Right. And I'm like, I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done that. And I went down this list thinking a month ago, as we talked through it, I said, wow, if you were to ask me the same question or bring that same challenge to me now, I would talk so much about the work that God did in my heart. I would never think to to rattle off a bunch of I dids or here's how that fruit has been shown in my life. Look at what I did here to show this fruit. It would it would be about God and, and his work. And, and it just made me realize, wow, I was so prideful. And I mean, the lady was right. I wasn't truly a Christian and I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, but, you know, I was pointing to myself and to to thinking that I had something to do with it, that there was some element of the things I was doing, that those were proof in and of themselves that I was saved. Because look at me. It wasn't about me at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and it, it, it never is. And it's just um, why, why we continuously fight that is just amazing to me, you know, being on the other side of things now. And, you know, and, and, you know, just, just remembering that obviously we're all born with sin and God knows this, right. But he's like, he's literally trying to offer us a free gift and it doesn't, it didn't cost us anything. And yeah, that's, that's another point. Like I kind of want to make, you know, getting into, you know, into, you know, in-depth topics like this is that I've, I've heard some people say, well, you know, I'm not a scholar and I don't think I'm smart enough. And, you know, you know, on and on and on and have self doubts. But the thing is, is like, yes, you can, you could study scripture your entire life 
and still not even reach the foothills of who God is. But but that's just a testament to how awesome and how deep he is. But he also doesn't make it hard. And especially with faith, like there's, you know, if, if you want to study and get into every little nuance of faith, like absolutely. But faith is really easy. It's it's a free gift. And our pride, like you said, just fights it because we, you know, it, and it, it's the original sin. Like we want to be in control. We want to be God, even though deep down, you know, we even have the expression like, well, I'm only human. Like I make mistakes. Like, well, why would you want to be God then? We, we would be pretty fickle gods, right? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, instead of giving it away to somebody who's perfect, you know, who doesn't need counsel, who doesn't need your wisdom, like he's the, the source of all of that. And, you know, he, he's not making it hard. There, there is no sacrifice that you can do um, that's going to save you. Now, works are very important, especially in the Christian walk. But, you know, but we have to distinguish between what the world sees as like good works what it means, you know, because I think a lot of times we get kind of wrapped up in our American view of like, well, you know, they're a pretty good person. You know, they don't bother anybody. You know, maybe they, you know, throw some change at a homeless guy every once in a while, send some orphans Christmas gifts, but they, they absolutely have no salvation or idea of who God is. But we're like, well, you know, they're, they're okay. And it's like, no, like with an urgency of your house is on fire. No, you're well, not okay. Our modern politics show that, right? We yeah. have two sides who both hold different moral views, and yeah. both sides actually kind of use certain scriptures when they want to. And so they have their own definition of what sure. good is, but yeah. yet they are diametrically different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it drives me crazy when politicians want to misquote the Bible for their own agenda. Definitely. You know, especially uh, Sermon on the Mount. That's <laughs> a topic for another time, maybe. I think one of the burning questions about faith is, you know, what role do I play in it? I mean, the very blunt answer, you know, for me is that we, we really don't now. I mean, we're, we're not. Hold on real quick. I do want to say there, this is an important question Yeah. because especially circles I grew up in. Yeah. We were told to have more faith, get more faith. You always have to have more. And like, like it was something that I could do. So you've got to draw some knowledge (laughs) on this idea Right. That will maybe combat some of the things I grew up hearing. Well, sure. I mean, and and the the question with that is, is like whenever somebody says we'll just have more faith, like how, how how do you do that? Well, that was always my question. You know, and and honestly, and this is not me making fun of any specific denomination, but that logic sounds like Disney to me. It's like, you know, if only you just believe, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm not going to sing anymore. But seriously, as silly as that sounds, it's like, well, just conjure it up in yourself, you know, get yourself worked up or, you know, whatever. I mean, like, it's not that emotions are bad, but, you know, some people can literally only seek out like emotional experiences. And I, but, but that goes back to like the practical, like, well, how do you just conjure up more faith? You know, is it by like just trying to work yourself up or, you know, um, or is it just some conscious choice I make? Right. Yeah. And, like, and okay, but, I've decided to have more faith now. Yeah. But, but, but the thing that just, it drives me crazy about that, like that, that logic is that it sets people up for so much disappointment, you know, because if, if you can somehow conjure up more faith or whatever, well, first of all, how do you know you have the right amount? You know, is it over the threshold to be saved? Is it not, you know, can you have just a little bit of faith, you know, sort of thing. But, but then it's like, well, you know, you're either disappointed because you didn't make something happen, which again, points back to you or like, you know, say, you know, you're praying for somebody who's sick and it's like, well, you know, I thought I had more faith, but they didn't get well. You know, speaking about like kind of um, the, the church around the world, you know, with so much of the prosperity gospel, 
you know, conjuring up your own faith is going to set you up for a lot of disappointment, which I think could actually lead people to be really upset with God to think like, well, you know, I followed this, you know, this thing, I followed this, you know, these instructions about how I can make this happen or I can, you know, change your mind or make you move. And then it didn't happen. And then it's like, well, why? You know, like, of course, God would want this in his will. Of course, he would want this person to be better. And again, you know, we're just looking at ourselves and, you know, giving ourselves a reason to boast because, okay, well, what if it does happen? You know, you have this experience, you think you conjure up faith and then, you know, God graciously does answer that prayer. Well, guess what? Now you're going to be like, well, look at me. Look, look what I faith. was able to do. Like, I'm more holy than you, you know, sort of thing. So side note, it is yeah. kind of interesting that we will say, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, God can move mountains, but then turn around again and say, you need more faith. Yeah. Well, why do I need bigger <laughs> faith if faith of a mustard seed will work, right? What's the whole purpose of more faith, greater faith, if all I need is a little for God to truly move? Because that idea of faith the size of a mustard seed is, is saying, look, it's because it's not about you. It's not about how much you have. It's all about God. It's about his work and his sovereign hand and how his might, not about us. You know, and so there's that, but also, so just to kind of get into it, like where if faith doesn't derive from within ourselves and we can't put faith in our faith and, you know, there's no way to magically make more up here, then, you know, I know you have some thoughts here. What, where does faith come from? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Where, where does it come from? I mean, it's, it's, it's from God, you know, but yeah, before I get into kind of my analogies to, you know, hopefully everybody's gracious with me about choice. Where does faith come from? So it's it's grace first, right? That's what we talked about last week. Like God is deciding, I'm going to give you mercy and grace. And then after grace comes, he's going to enable you for your spiritual eyes to be opened. Now, you know, we can get into choice and things like that. I think that we do have a choice in rejecting God. Because we have a choice to sin. And I mean, I want to tread lightly because, you know, but I I go back to Adam and Eve and it's like, you know, we, you know, God didn't create us just to be mindless robots who are just perfectly obedient to what he wants. Right. Like we obviously see God made Adam and Eve, you know, in perfection, sinless, and they, they made a choice. Right. So we see choice. Right. So choice is not divorced completely from faith. But I just wanted you to think about something like this. So scripture says that the law is written on everyone's heart. Right. So that kind of gets gets us away from like the lone man on the island argument. You know, he can see the revelation of God, but he, he's also born with a conscience so that no one's without excuse. But I wanted to point out, we don't choose to have a conscience. All of us are born with a conscience. So we didn't have a choice in that. We know right from wrong inherently in our nature. And we know it's wrong to murder. But we can choose to ignore our conscience and murder someone, right? So we do have a choice in that. But we did not have a choice with a conscience being implanted in us. That's another reason why we are distinct from animals. So faith is similar in that. God chooses to open the eyes of your heart. That's not something I think we have a choice with. He chooses to open the eyes of your heart. And like your conscience, once God gives you the faith to believe, you know you can't save yourself, no matter how much you don't want it to be true. So just like you have a conscience, but you can choose to violate your conscience, with faith, your eyes are opened and you know right from wrong, and you realize that you're helpless, you realize that there's no way for you to save yourself, but you can still choose to ignore that. And that's probably one of the saddest things you see. And that's, you know, the only unforgivable sin, right? There's only one. And it's basically summarized as, you know, rejecting God ultimately. Um, And I think it's especially important um, when people know 
that it's there and they can see and they still reject it. So that could be up for debate. There could be some more rabbit hole down the choice where we just absolutely have no choice. But my my thing is, is I, I think that we have choice and free will within certain boundaries. Like whatever you ate today for lunch after church, that was your choice. But, you know, if God wants me to die at a certain age in a certain way, I, th- there's no choice I can make to escape that. Ultimately, you know, I can go this way and that way and eat healthy, eat bad, exercise, not exercise. But he already he's already he already knows he already knows how that's going to happen, because I believe that he ordained it um, and he already knows the beginning from the end. Please be gracious with me about the whole choice thing. But. That was kind of my analogy. I, mean, I think that's a good conscience. analogy. I think even people who are outside the church, people who would not even say Christians, if someone passes, you, you might even hear them say, I guess it was their time. Or if something crazy happens and someone escapes death, someone will say, I guess it wasn't their time. Yeah. So yeah. people like subconsciously, they all, they have that thought that, and it comes out of their mouth in those moments. And I mean, this will be said by people who aren't Christians. Yeah, and it is. It's like, well, who's determining their, you know, their time, right? Um, but the same question can be applied to our faith, you know, like, well, who's determining your faith? Like, if we know we can't conjure it up, can't add to it, then, you know, it's something that was given to us, you know, as as a gift. And we talked about gifts, you know, uh, the, the last episode, like someone else either, you know, buys or creates a gift, right? And then it's given, um, you know, sort of thing. But I mean, that's, that's why faith is so important. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... You know, there's so many kind of things and stages you could go down with that. <laughs> that would take way longer than uh, however long this episode's going to end up being, but uh, it won't be a, a month long. <laughs> I think that's probably, we could probably go yeah. that long continuing down this because when you think that, you know, when it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and then you look at John 1 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Yeah. You know, so. When you start putting pieces together, you see that faith comes from Christ, from Jesus. You know, ultimately, it's it's a gift from God. So there's a lot more, yeah, about choice where we could. Sure, I mean, man, yeah, we and, could really. And you know what? There are some people, you know, who are even in my circles who would probably take it further. You know, but that that's about as far as I'm willing to take it. I mean, I I do believe God is sovereign. I don't think that uh, you know He looked into the future and saw that we were going to choose Him. I, I just, I don't, you know, I think he decided to, uh, to grant us faith and to save us, you know, before the foundation of the world, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that's definitely, you know, another topic we could explore. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have questions about works. You Scott know, Vitro over here setting us up for future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was setting myself up for a lot of criticism, but, um, you know what, that's, that's okay. So I'm trying to be faithful uh, to uh, to where I'm at. Hit me up. I'll send you all of Scott Vitra's contact information. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can. so a lot of people have questions about like, well, faith and works because, and I mean, it's a really fair question because, you know, we look at, uh, we look at Paul's writing and he's saying that salvation is by, uh, you know, grace alone through faith alone. Right. But then we flip over to James and he's like, well, you know, show me faith without works you know, and your faith is dead, you know, so he, it, it seems like, or it can be commonly, you know, misinterpreted that they're saying there's two different ways to salvation, right? Like one is faith, one is works. When in reality, James is complimenting Paul and saying, okay, well, after faith, then your good works are what's acceptable to the Father. And that's that's another hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. And I don't necessarily like it either because, you know, before I was saved, I did do good works, right? Or at least I thought I did. And I mean, you know, they were, you know, good according to the world standards. And, you know, I've helped people and, 
um, you know, given to causes and things like that. And there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful with those things, but it's how, how is it viewed in God's eyes? And so, you know, we, we, we look back to the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, and, you know, like, like we touched on, you know, eventually God was saying like, you know, your sacrifices are worthless to me because, because of what? Because of your hearts, you know, you're just checking a box. You're just doing this thing that, you know, in, in the big scheme of things, it's just a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do, that there needs to be a sacrifice to atone for sins. Right. You know, so they're just checking the box but their hearts aren't changing. Right. And so their, their works, so to speak, their sacrifices were worthless to God. And the new Testament says that too, it goes as far to describe it. I'm not going to go into the literal term because it's very crude, but it says that our good works are, are, um, are like filthy rags in, in, you know, in, in front of God. And, you know, I, I wrestle with that because people like to think that they're generally good and, you know, to the world, you know, I think most of us probably are. But, you know, when you look at it in the backdrop of a holy and perfect God, why would he accept any of our good works if we're still sinful, if we're still, you know, under condemnation? I mean, we're always going to be sinful. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But why, why would he want to accept our gifts and our good works if, if that vertical relationship with God isn't right? And it's because we keep going back to this whole thing of like we want to save ourselves with good and bad deeds and just kind of see where... You know, the scales end up at the end of our lives, which I think should terrify you anyway, because I know I would lose. But yeah, you know, we, we still think that uh, somehow we're we're going to we're going to do that. So so works are important. Um, they're, they're not the way of salvation. Scripture is very clear that salvation comes through uh, faith in Christ alone. And that that's it. But as evidence that we are God's children, that we are a new creation we spend the rest of our lives, of our capable lives, uh, seeking out good works because now we're not trying to, what what we're doing is we're replacing the I and saying, well, like now my good works, I'm not trying to do it to save myself. Now my good works are fruit of how Jesus lived. They're evidence that my life has been changed. And instead of focusing on me, now my good works are trying to spread the gospel. They're trying to help other people and show the heart of who God really is. Because he uses us as his ambassadors, right? And as ambassadors, we're supposed to represent our king. And so that's when our, our works are, um, are acceptable to God. They're not, they're not because of or, you know, um, a reason for God to save us. They're not linked to salvation, just to make that clear. But they are a fruit of our salvation. Yeah, the psalmist writes in Psalm 51, uh, 15 through 17, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So right there, I mean, it just says exactly what you were saying. You know, it's about the heart. And if we don't have that broken, contrite heart of humility coming before God, then what good is our sacrifice? What good is whatever we're trying to bring to the table? Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, Scripture talking about, um, you know, having having something against your brother. You know, like if you, if you go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, but you have something against your brother, he's saying, leave, leave it there. Leave it. Just let it be. Go reconcile with your brother first. Because, I mean, it's, it's worthless and it's hypocritical to go sacrifice something when there's strife and sin somewhere else. And it's the same, you know, um, relationship with God. It's like, if you and God are not right— Leave your sacrifice on the steps. Go, go be right with God first before you try to offer him, you know, your works. Because here, here's the thing, and scripture is very clear, and, you know, and just, 
you know, just a, a big, you know, life, you know, question and answer. If you've ever wondered what your purpose is in life, like all of us had, have, um, you know, God's very clear why we were created and we were created for good works. And that, again, just points to how good works are not supposed to be about us. Because, I mean, how how useless would it be if we were created for good works, but then all of our good works were just about ourselves? They were just about like, well, I'm doing this good work so that I can, you know, get to heaven, right? Instead of, hey, I'm doing this work to spread the kingdom and the gospel and be a good ambassador um, and to help other people see what God's heart is like and what he's done in my life to transform me so that you can enjoy this too. So, yeah, I mean, any other, any other thoughts on works or any distinctions you want to make or we, well, we kept tiptoeing around last week cause we really wanted to talk about it. But I, you know, I think the things that you said are, those are the important aspects, you know, that one are, we are called to do good works, but two, they are for the glory of God. Right. Well, I guess, and three, <laughs> they are because not, for the purpose of they are because we are saved they because we love christ not to earn our salvation or to earn his favor yeah because i think that's that's two prevalent things outside of works being after faith that you see nowadays is you see people trying to attach works to salvation but then those who don't it's it's a post salvation thing where it's well we have to do these works so that we stay in God's good graces. It's almost right. like we we treat it like the stock market or something, like we're investing our good works so we can turn around and we can take withdrawals from God. Like, well, he, he owes us now because look at all these things I did. So it's time to cash in on my good works. Right. You know, and we, we kind of treat it that way. Yeah, I mean, instead of looking at scripture, I mean, it, like I, I always crack up, you know, when the apostles were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you know, and he kind of, you know, gut checks them. And he's like, whoever the biggest servant is, you know, they're arguing about status and this and that. And, you know, and it's the same with our faith and works. It's like, you know, we, we have this idea like, well, if I do this, you know, I'll, I'll be closer to the throne of God or I'll I'll have a bigger house in heaven or, you know, which, which kind of brings up another point, you know, just kind of like a general, you know, view of God and Christianity in heaven is um, if your thought process is that, you know, you're trying to avoid hell or that you just want this like, you know, blissful, you know, nirvana, everything you wanted, you get a mega mansion, you know, and all your heart's desires, like. I got some news for you that ain't happening. So, uh, because, you know, in our, in our sinful state, we would still be sinful with all our heart's desires, you know, and, 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 and the purpose of, of faith, one of the purposes is not to gain some reward, you know, materially our, our reward and what we should really be striving for is we have a want to have a relationship with God forever, um, as our King, as our father. So, I mean, I've, I've struggled with that before. I know a lot of people do. They think, well, I'm either just trying to get out of hell or I'm trying to, you know, just make it to heaven so I can enjoy my life, you know, the way I want, you know, with everything I want instead of like, well, do you really want a relationship with God forever? And sometimes people can't answer that question, you know, very quickly or they really have to think about it. Um, I, I know I have. That's good. So I also want to put out there that this idea is one that bothers me about an evangelism tactic. Yeah. Just try God out, man. What do you have to lose? That's not faith. That is not faith. To tell someone that they could just try God out, like it's take this car home, drive it. If you don't like it, you can return it. Like I've heard that kind of used. And 
just pray this prayer. The prayer will magically save you. You know, there have been a lot of evangelistic tactics that have been used that really, to me, are devoid of faith. They take away from that place of faith and salvation because we are putting it upon ourselves or we're maybe lessening what it is. We're even lessening what Christ did on the cross, you know, and we're, we're treating it very just carelessly. I think that we need to, as we, if we understand faith and the role it has in salvation, think it will, will change how we evangelize. But also, as you were saying earlier, that it's God's work to open our eyes. I think that also takes the pressure off of us that it's not our place to convince someone or to try to push them to have, quote unquote, have faith. You know, it's that work of the Holy Spirit to draw them, to open their eyes, to let them see truth, to finally let them see God for who he truly is, to see themselves for who they truly are, and to understand their need for a Savior. So if you, I would say if you're struggling through some of these topics or through faith, you know, some scriptures that are surrounding salvation that you can go check out are Galatians 2.16, Ephesians 2.4-10, through 10, Philippians 3.8-10. And Romans 3, just read Romans 3. I mean, 21 through 26 are pretty heavy on that, but <laughs> but just read Romans 3. These scriptures will help you in seeing the role of faith, the work of faith in our salvation. And then from the work side of it, you know, Scott has talked a lot about this, that our works don't play a part in our salvation, but we're still, we are called to do good works. And so if you want to look at those, you can check out 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Ephesians 2, 10. And James 2, 14 through 18, or just read all of James. We're studying James right now in yeah, life yeah. group. And we were challenged because we were, we read or watched somewhere that you could read the entire book of James in less than 20 minutes, <laughs> right? So you can read James 2, 14 through 18, but go ahead and read the entire book. It'll take less than 20 minutes. And, and you can just see where James does back up this idea that uh, faith without works is dead. Not that the works are part of our faith and, and that they have to be there for salvation to happen, but because of faith and salvation now, that will lead us to good works. Yeah, I mean, it's evidence you know, of, of our salvation. Because he's making the point that someone who just outwardly says they have faith you know, hasn't inwardly had a heart change, because if they had, they would be doing good works, right? Well, yeah. Let them see your good works and glorify the Lord. Yeah. I mean, it's not like any of us do this perfectly, but yeah, I mean, I liked what you said too about, uh, you know, the, uh, the stock market and you know, like with our salvation and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to talk about there. I just want to, you know, like, if, if you think any of your listeners like ever struggled with, uh, backsliding or like how, how does faith play a role in, um, you know, continued salvation, mm. I guess. Like, you know, cause, cause people wrestle with their faith, you know, they, they have doubts, you know, and it's like you said, are, are, are people thinking like, well, you know, Hey, if I'm struggling, you know, with my faith, does that mean that, you know, God has abandoned me, you know, and, and just, you know, I, I always love pointing out like God's not going to dangle faith in front of your face and then take it away. Um, the very fact that you are struggling with your faith to me is evidence that God's stirring up in you, you know, in, in big ways. And sometimes those, those things um, hurt, you know, but growth comes through being refined, right? It comes through being challenged. You know, don't, don't ever think that if you struggle with that, um, that that somehow, you know, means that you've lost it or that God doesn't want you anymore because, you know, you know, speaking of taking the pressure off, if it were up to us, if we could just, you know, somehow wish it away, 
we probably would, you know, we would probably lose it if we were left to our own devices. But no matter what your struggle with faith is, it's that, well, I'm going to steal from your other episode, that assurance that, uh, that God's going to keep you. So, which is also distinct from like when scripture talks about, um, some people proclaiming to have faith and then walking away from the church. And it's like, well, they were really never among us, right? Their, their faith was just, was just outward. No, it, it was just an outward thing, not an inward change of the heart. I mean, it's good that you brought that up because I, I do want those who maybe are struggling, you know, with if they've doubted, you know, I mean, Paul challenges us to look within ourselves to see see if you're in the faith, right? Yeah. He, he challenges us to have that self-reflection, to look, yeah. you know, but then it is, you know, well, by what measure? What are we looking at? You know, or what, what are we basing that on? Are we basing it on a prayer report? prayed or repeated or are we basing it on good works or are we basing it on the work of Christ? Are we basing it on the change that we've seen? You know, one of the, the evidences of salvation is a changed life, that we are a new creation. So there's a lot there and yeah, there's a lot of other episodes that I want to do on that. Yeah. But I am glad you brought that up because if you are out there and you're struggling with your faith, just as Scott was saying, you know, God is it's not this game. It's not this thing of giving something to you just to turn around and take it away or you know, or something of that nature. And and if you're under that conviction, more than likely you're in a good place because that means the Holy Spirit is working on you, you know, and there's there's some differences in guilt and conviction and condemnation and looking at all of those things. But but if you are struggling, if you're if you're having doubts, you know, reach out to us. You know, we'd like to talk through some of this, walk you through scripture, pray with you, and we will do another episode on the assurance of salvation, you know, and, and what it is to, to keep the faith. And we'll talk through some different scriptures. We'll look at maybe the parable of the soils and some other things that uh, kind of speak to that. And the verse that you said, you know, they went out from us because they were never of us, you know, and we'll look at a lot of that. And so we, we will definitely follow up and do an episode on that, uh, hopefully before the year ends. So it's not too far from this one, but any final thoughts, man, on, uh, faith alone? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, without, I, without doing a whole second episode, yeah, without, we're already at like an hour. Oh, are we? Okay. Yeah. That's so funny. I thought we were like under on time. Uh, no, we're at 57, yeah, minutes, I, 57 I, minutes. I would just add to like a specific audience of people who may be struggling with their faith. So here in our lives on earth, we can struggle with abandonment issues, right? That's typically because of, you know, parents, family members, friends, stuff like that. Um, you know, we've been hurt by someone who should have been there for us, protected us. Right. But just to reiterate, God as our father in faith is never going to do that. So if you're a person who struggles with abandonment issues, maybe that's why you, maybe you're thinking like, well, you know, God's just, you know, going to leave me. He doesn't want me anymore. You know, maybe he did for a little while, but you know, I'm backslidden. That's not in God's character because he is perfect and he will not abandon you because you struggle with faith or have doubts from time to time. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, well, thank you again, man. I really appreciate you coming back in the studio to man, really uh, go through some tough topics. Yeah, and, dude, this has been fun. So, yeah, yeah, thanks. This is good stuff and just being able to encourage believers. And, yeah, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We're dropping new episodes every Monday, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends so that you and your friends do not miss out on an episode. We look forward to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Deed underscore Truth and on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at the Deed and Truth Podcast. 
You can also check out our website, deedandtruthpodcast.com, where you can leave us a voicemail, email us a message, leave us a review, or just learn a little bit more about us and check out the latest episode. All right, until next time.